Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's Tent is a new bi-weekly or monthly, depending on the content discussed really, episodic podcast which focuses on the history, literature and folk literature and will in future host discussions of all these topics and more from the regions of the Middle East, North Africa, Central Asia, including Mongolia and the Russian Far East, and South Asia. In this series of The Great Khan's Tent, I will be reading The Thousand and One Nights, or commonly referred to as The Arabian Nights. Two translations will be used as a basis of this podcast, the four-volume The Thousand and One Nights, The Arabian Nights Entertainment, translated by Edward William Lane and Stanley Lane Poole, and the three-volume Tales from the Arabic of the Breslau and Calcutta editions of the book by John Payne. I will be using various additional translations, including those by Richard Burton and Malcolm C. Lloyds, as a guide to ensure that I provide the full accuracy of these tales. I have also kept the religious themes which appear or which I may add, to provide not only more authenticity, but to root it in the cultural and religious backgrounds of which these works were meant to convey. In each episode, you may notice that a background track has been provided, like this. This is a result of my editorial decision to include a background track when there is some interaction between a human and a jinn, an otherworldly being that is a common race that frequently appears in these tales. You may also notice that many of these episodes may not have a background track. This again is an editorial decision. The method of transmission of these tales were through the local coffee shops at Baghdad, Damascus, Cairo, Jerusalem, or any other place in the pre-modern Islamic world. I try to provide the best replication of that atmosphere as I can. At the end of each episode, I will provide definitions of certain words used to ensure that the listener is aware of what they mean, as some words may not have been used recently, may have fallen out of use, or rarely appear. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great constant at gmail.com. Once again, that is in all lowercase in the great constant at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening. And now on with the show. Auzubillah min shaitan nirajim bismillahirrahman nirrahim. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the beneficent King, the creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, our Lord and Master Muhammad, and his family. Blessings and peace, enduring and constant unto the day of judgment. Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after, so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, 
and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. And of these admonitory instances are the histories called the Thousand and One Nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. It is related, but God alone is all-knowing, as well as all-wise, and almighty, and all-bountiful, that there was, in ancient times, a king of the countries of India and China, possessing numerous troops, and guards, and servants, and domestic dependents. And he had two sons, one of whom was a man of mature age, and the other a youth. Both of these princes were brave horsemen, but especially the elder, who inherited the kingdom of his father and governed his subjects with such justice that the inhabitants of his country and whole empire loved him. His name was Shah Shehriyar, while his younger brother, who ruled Samarkand, was called Shah Zaman. The administration of their governments was conducted with such recitatude, each of them ruling over his subjects with justice during a period of twenty years, with the utmost enjoyment and happiness. After this period, the elder king felt a strong desire to see his brother, and ordered his wazir to repair to him and bring him. Having taken the advice of the vizier on the subject, he immediately gave orders to prepare handsome presents, such as horses adorned with gold and costly jewels, and mamluks and beautiful virgins and expensive stuffs. He then wrote a letter to his brother, expressive of his great desire to see him, and having sealed it and given it to the vizier together with the presents mentioned above, he ordered the minister to strain his nerves, tuck up his skirts, and use all expedition in returning. The vizier answered, Without delay, I hear and obey, and forthwith prepared for the journey. He packed his baggage, removed the burdens, and made ready all his provisions within three days. And on the fourth day, he took leave of Shah Sheryar and went forth towards the deserts and wastes. He proceeded night and day, and each of the kings under the authority of Shah Sheryar, by whose residence he passed, came forth to meet him with costly presents and gifts of gold and silver, and entertained him three days, after which on the fourth day he accompanied one day's journey and took leave of him. Thus he continued on his way until he drew near to the city of Samarkand, where he sent forth a messenger to inform Shah Zaman of his approach. The messenger entered the city, inquired the way to the palace, and, introducing himself to the king, kissed the ground before him and acquainted him with the approach of his brother's vizier upon which Shah Zaman ordered the chief officers of his court and the great men of his kingdom to go forth a day's journey to meet him. And when they did so, and when they met him, they welcomed him and walked by his stirrups until they returned to the city. The vizier then presented himself before Shah Zaman, greeting him with a prayer for the divine assistance in his favor, kissed the ground before him, and informed him of his brother's desire to see him, after which he handed him the letter. The Shah took it, read it, and understood its content, and answered by expressing his readiness to obey the commands of his brother. But, said he, addressing the vizier, 
I will not go until I have entertained thee for three days. Accordingly, he lodged him in a palace befitting his rank, accommodated his troops in tents, and appointed them all things requisite in the way of food and drink. And so they remained three days. On the fourth day, he equipped himself for the journey, made ready his baggage, and collected together costly presents suitable to his brother's dignity. These preparations being completed, he sent forth his tents, and camels, and mules, and servants, and guards, and appointed his vizier to be governor of the country during his absence, and set out towards his brother's domains. At midnight, however, he remembered that he had left in his palace an article which he should have brought with him, and having returned to the palace to fetch it, he there beheld his wife sleeping in his bed, attended by a male black slave who had fallen asleep by her side. On beholding this scene, the world became black before his eyes, and he said within himself, If this is the case when I have not departed from the city, what will be the conduct of this vile woman while I am sojourning with my brother? He then drew his sword and slew them both in the bed, after which he immediately returned, gave orders for departures, and journeyed to his brother's capital. Shehriyar, rejoicing at the tidings of his approach, went forth to meet him, saluted him, and welcomed him with the utmost delight. He then ordered that the city should be decorated on the occasion, and sat down to entertain his brother with cheerful conversation. But the mind of Shah Zaman was distracted by reflections upon the conduct of his wife. Excessive grief took possession of him, and his countenance became sallow, and his frame emaciated. His brother observed his altered condition, and, imagining that it was occasioned by his absence from his domains, abstained from troubling him or asking respecting the cause, until after the lapse of some days, when at length he said to him, O my brother, I perceive thy body is emaciated, and thy countenance is become sallow. Shah Zaman answered, O brother, I have an internal sore, and informed him not of the conduct of his wife which he had witnessed. Shahriyar then said, I wish that thou wouldest go out with me on a hunting excursion. Perhaps thy mind might so be diverted. But he declined, and Shahriyar went alone on the chase. Now there were some windows in the king's palace commanding a view of his garden. And when his brother was looking out from one of these, a door of the palace was opened, and there came forth from it twenty females and twenty male black slaves. And the king's wife, who was distinguished by extraordinary beauty and elegance, accompanied them to a fountain, where they all disrobed themselves and sat down together. The king's wife then called out, O oh, Masood! And immediately a black slave came to her and embraced her, she doing the like. So also did the other slaves and the women. All of them continued reveling together until the close of the day. When Shah Zaman beheld this spectacle, he said within himself, 
By Allah, my affliction is lighter than this. His vexation and grief were alleviated, and he no longer abstained from sufficient food and drink. When his brother returned from his excursion, and they had saluted each other, and Shah Shariar observed his brother Shah Zaman, that his color had returned, and that his face had recovered the flush of health, and that he ate with appetite, after his late abstinence, he was surprised and said, O oh, my brother, when I saw thee last, thy countenance was sallow, and now thy color hath returned to thee. Acquaint me with thy state. As to the change of my natural complexion, answered Shah Zaman, I will inform thee of its cause, but excuse my explaining to thee the return of my color. First, said Sheriyar, relate to me the cause of the change of thy proper complexion and of thy weakness. Let me hear it. Know then, O brother, he answered, that when thou sendest thy vizier to me to invite me to thy presence, I prepared myself for the journey. And when I had gone forth from the city, I remembered that I had left behind the jewel that I have given thee. I therefore returned to my palace for it, and there I found my wife sleeping in my bed, and attended by a black male slave. And I killed them both, and came to thee. But my mind was occupied by reflections upon this affair. And this was the cause of the change of my complexion, and of my weakness. Now as to the return of my color, excuse my informing thee of its cause. But when his brother heard these words, he said, I conjure thee by Allah that thou acquaintest me with the cause of the return of thy color. So he repeated to him all that he had seen. I would see this, said Shariyar, with my own eye. Then, said Shah Zaman, give out that thou art going again to the chase, and conceal thyself here with me, and thou shalt witness this conduct, and obtain ocular proof of it. Shahriyar, upon this, immediately announced it was his intention to make another excursion. The troops went out of the city with the tents, and the Shah followed them. And after he reposed a while in the camp, he said to his servants, Let no one come in to me. And he disguised himself, and returned to his brother in the palace, and sat in one of the windows overlooking the garden. And when he had been there a short time, the women and their mistress entered the garden with the black slaves, and did as his brothers described, continuing to do so until the hour of the afternoon prayer. When Shah Shariyar beheld this occurrence, reason fled from his state, and he said to his brother Shah Zaman, Arise, and let us travel whither we please, and renounce the regal state until we see whether such a calamity as this have befallen any other person like unto us, and if not, our death will be preferable to life. His brother agreed to his proposal, and they went out from a private door of the palace, and journeyed continually, days and nights, until they arrived at a tree in the midst of a meadow, by a spring of water, on the shore of the sea. 
they drank of the spring and sat down to rest, and when the day had little advanced, the sea became troubled before them, and there arose from it a black pillar, ascending towards the sky and approaching the meadow. Struck with fear at the sight, they climbed up unto the tree, which was lofty, and hence gazed to see what this might be. And behold, it was a jinn of gigantic stature, broad-fronted and bulky, bearing on his head a chest. He landed and came to the tree into which the two shahs had climbed, and having seated himself beneath it, opened the chest and took out from it another box, which he also opened, and there came forth from it a young woman, fair and beautiful, like the shining sun, who fitted the excellent description given by the poet Atiya. She shone in the darkness and they appeared, as the trees shed brightness over her. Her radiance makes suns rise and shine, while, as for the moons, she covers them in shame. When veils are rent and she appears, all things bow down before her. As lightning flashes from her sanctuary, a rain of tears floods down. When the jinn cast his eyes upon her, he said, O lady of noble race, whom I carried off thy wedding night, I have a desire to sleep a little. And he placed his head upon her knee and slept. The woman then raised her head towards the tree and saw the two shahs upon which she removed the head of the jinn from her knee, and having placed it on the ground, stood under the tree and made signs to the two shahs, as though she would say, Come down and fear not this ifrit. And they answered her, We conjure thee by Allah that thou excuse us in this matter. But she said, I conjure you by the same that ye come down, and if ye do not, I will arouse this ifrit and he shall put you to a cruel death. So, being afraid, they came down to her, and when she said, Take me as hard as you can, or else I'll wake him up, Sheryar said frightfully to his brother, Do as she says. But Shah Zaman refused, saying, You do it first. They started gesturing to each other about this and that, and the girl asked why, repeating, if you don't come up and do it, I'll rouse the jinn against you. Because they were afraid, they took turns to lie with her, and when they had finished, she told them to get up. She took from her pocket a purse, and drew out from this a string, upon which were ninety-eight seal rings. And she said to them, Know ye what are these? They answered, We know not. Donors of these rings, said she, have, all of them, been admitted to converse with me, like ye have, unknown to this foolish ifrit. Therefore give me your two rings, ye brothers. So they gave her their two rings from their fingers, and she said to them, This ifrit carried me off on my wedding night, and put me in this box, and placed the box in the chest and affixed to the chest seven locks, and deposited me, thus imprisoned in the bottom of the roaring sea, beneath the dashing waves. 
not knowing that when one of our sex desires to accomplish any object, nothing can prevent her. In accordance with this, says one of the poets, never trust in women, nor rely upon their vows, for the pleasure and displeasure depends upon their passions. They offer a false affection, for perfidy lurks within their clothing. By the tale of Yusuf be admonished, and guard against their stratagems. Dost thou not consider that Iblis ejected Adam by means of a woman? And another poet says, Abstain from censure, for it will strengthen the censured, and increase desire into violent passions. If I suffer such passions, my case is but the same as that of a many man before me, for greatly indeed to be wondered at is he who hath kept himself safe from women's artifice. When the two shahs heard these words from her lips, they were struck with the utmost astonishment, and said one to another, If this is a jinn, and a greater calamity has happened unto him than that which hath befallen us, this is a circumstance that should console us. And immediately they departed and returned to the city. As soon as they entered the palace, Shehriyar caused his wife to be beheaded, and in the like manner the women and black slaves. And henceforth he made it his regular custom every time that he took a virgin to his bed to kill her at the expiration of the night. Thus he continued to do so during a period of three years. This led to unrest among the citizens, and they fled away with their daughters until there were no nubile girls left in the city. Then, when the vizier was ordered to bring the shah, a girl as usual, he searched but could not find a single one, and had to go home empty-handed, dejected, and afraid of what the shah might do to him. Now the vizier had two daughters, the elder of whom was named Shahrazad, and the younger Dunyazad. The former had read various books of histories and the lives of preceding kings, and stories of past generations. It is asserted that she had collected together a thousand books of histories relating to the preceding generations and kings, and works of the poets, and she said to her father on this occasion, why do I see thee thus changed, and oppressed with solitude and sorrows? It has been said by one of the poets, Tell him who is oppressed with anxiety, that anxiety will not last. As happiness passes away, so passes away anxiety. When the vizier heard these words from his daughter, he related to her all that had happened to him with regards to the king. Upon which she said, By Allah, O father, Give me in marriage to this king. Either I shall die and be a ransom for one of the daughters of the Muslims, or I shall live and be the cause of their deliverance from him. I conjure thee by Allah, exclaimed he, that thou not expose thyself to such peril. But she said, It must be so. Then said he, I fear for thee that the same will befall thee last happened in the case of the ass and the bull, and the husbandman. And what, she asked, was that, O my father? No, O my daughter, said the vizier, that there was a certain merchant who possessed wealth and cattle, and had a wife and children, 
and God, whose names be exalted, had also endowed him with the knowledge of the language of beasts and birds. The abode of this merchant was in the country, and he had in his house an ass and a bull. When the bull came to the place where the ass was tied, he found it swept and sprinkled. In his manger were sift barley and sift cut straw, and the ass was lying at his ease, his master being accustomed only to ride him occasionally when business required, and soon to return. And it happened one day that the merchant overheard the bull saying to the ass, May thy food benefit thee. I am oppressed with fatigue while thou art enjoying repose. Thou eatest shifted barley, and men serve thee, and it is only occasionally that the master rides thee, and returns, while I am continually employed in ploughing and turning the mill. The ass answered, When thou goest to the field, and they place the yoke upon thy neck, lie down, and do not rise again, even if they beat thee. Or if you do rise, lie down a second time, and when they take thee back and place the beans before thee, eat them not, as though thou wert sick. Abstain from eating and drinking for a day or two days or three, and so shall thou find rest from trouble and labor. Accordingly, when the driver came to the bull with his father, he ate scarcely any of it. And on the morrow, when the driver came again to take him to plough, he found him apparently quite infirm. So the merchant said, Take the ass and make him draw the plough in his stead all the day. The man did so, and when the ass returned at the close of the day, the bull thanked him for the favour he had conferred upon him by relieving him of the, his trouble on that day. But the ass returned him no answer, for he repented most grievously. On the next day the plower came again and took the ass, and ploughed with him till evening, and the ass returned with his neck flayed by the yoke, and reduced to an extreme state of weakness. And the bull looked upon him, and thanked and praised him. The ass explained, I was living at ease, and not but my meddling hath injured me. Then he said to the bull, Know that I am the one who would give thee good advice. I heard our master say, If the bull would not rise from his place, take him to the butcher, that he may kill him, and make a gnat of his skin. I am therefore in fear of thee, and so I have given thee advice, and peace be upon thee. When the bull heard these words from the ass, he thanked him and said, Tomorrow I will go with alacrity. So he ate the whole of his father, and even licked a manger. Their master, meanwhile, was listening to their conversation. On the following morning, the merchant and his wife went to the bull's crib, and sat down there, and the driver came, and took out the bull. And when the bull saw his master, he shook his tail, and showed his alacrity by sounds and actions, bounding about in such a manner that the merchant laughed until he fell backwards. His wife asked why, and he told her, I was laughing because something secret that I saw and heard, but I can't tell you 
or else I shall die. Even if you do die, she insisted, you must tell me the reason for this. He repeated that he could not do it for fear of death, but she said, you were laughing at me, and she went on insisting obstinately until she got the better of him. In distress, he called together his children and sent for the Qadi and witnesses that he might make his will and reveal the secret to her and die. For he loved her excessively, since she was a daughter of his paternal uncle and the mother of his children, and he had lived with her to the age of a hundred and twenty years. Having assembled her family and his neighbors, he related to them this story and told them that as soon as he revealed his secret, he must die. Upon which everyone present said to her, We conjure thee by Allah that thou givest up this affair, and let not thy husband and the father of thy children die. But she said, I will not desist until he tells me, though he may die for it. So they ceased to solicit her, and the merchant left them, and went to the stable to perform the absolution, and then to return and tell them the secret and die. Now he had a rooster with fifty hens under him, and he also had a dog, and he heard the dog call to the rooster, and reproach him, saying, Art thou happy when our master is going to die? The rooster asked, How so? And the dog related to him the story, upon which the rooster explained, By Allah, our master has little sense, and I please this and provoke that, while he has but one wife and cannot manage this affair with her. Why does he not take some twigs of the mulberry tree and enter her chamber and beat her until she dies or repents? She would never, after that, ask him a question respecting anything. And when the merchant heard the words of the rooster as he addressed the dog, he recovered his reasons and made up his mind to beat her. Now, said the vizier to his daughter Shehrazad, perhaps I may do to thee as the merchant did to his wife? She asked, and what did he? He answered, he returned to her chamber after he had cut out some twigs of the mulberry tree and hidden them there, and then said to her, Come into the chamber that I may tell thee the secret while no one sees me and then die. And when she had entered and locked the chamber door upon her and beat her until she became almost senseless and cried out, I repent. And she kissed his hands and feet and repented and went out with him and all the company and all her own family rejoiced and they lived together in the happiest manner until death. When the vizier's daughter heard the words of her father, she said to him, It must be as I have requested. So he arrayed her and went to Shah Shariar. Now she had given directions for her younger sister, saying to her, When I have gone to the Shah, I will send to request thee to come. And when thou hast come to me and seest a convenient time, do thou say to me, O my sister, relate to me some strange story to beguile our waking hour, and I will relate to thee a story that shall, if it be the will of God, be the means of procuring deliverance. Her father, the vizier, then took her to the shah, who, when he saw him, 
was rejoiced and said, Hast thou brought me what I desired? He answered, Yes. When the Shah therefore introduced himself to her, she wept, and he said to her, What aileth thee? She answered, O Shah, I have a young sister, and I wish to take leave of her. So the Shah sent to her, and she came to her sister, and embraced her, and sat near the foot of the bed. And after she had waited for an, a proper opportunity, she said, By Allah, O my sister, relate to us a story to beguile the waking hour of our night. Most willingly, answered Shahrazad, if this virtuous Shah permits me. And when the Shah, hearing these words and being restless, was pleased with the idea of listening to the story, and thus on the first night of the thousand and one, Shahrazad commenced her recitations. Welcome to the vocabulary section. First, let us define some of the names we have heard in this episode today. Sheryar means friend of the city. Shah Zaman means king of the age. Shehrazad means lover of the city. And Dunyazad means lover of the world. A vizier. A vizier is a high official in some Muslim countries. They had a similar job description to a minister or a prime minister. A qadi is a judge in Islamic countries. Definitions. The first word is hath. Hath is an archaic third person singular present of have. Admonitory means giving or conveying a warning or a reprimand. Aforetime means in time past, in a former time, and previously. Sojourning means stayed somewhere temporarily. Countenance means a person, face, or facial expression or support. Sallow. Sallow is a person's face or a complexion of an unhealthy yellow or pale brown color. Emaciated is an abnormally thin or weak because of illness or a lack of food. Conjure, implore someone to do something. Seal rings, a ring for making an impression on wax, clay, or some other medium. Nat. A large round piece of leather which spread over the ground serves as a table for dinner. Recitation. The action of repeating something aloud from memory. Beguile. Charm or enchant someone, sometimes in a deceptive way. Or help time pass pleasantly. Procuring. Obtain something, especially with care or effort. Deliverance. The action of being rescued or set free. Alacrity. Brisk and cheerful readiness. Sifted. Having passed through a sieve. Solicitude. Care or concern for someone or something. Perfidy. Deceitfulness and untrustworthiness. If you would like to donate to help this podcast, although it is not necessary to do so, in the Great Khan's tent, we'll soon have a Patreon, PayPal, and other avenues of donations set up soon. This episode has been written, 
edited and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.